I'll introduce myself. I'm, I'm Jeff. I'm the pastor of Ballycullen Community Church. Uh, it's in southwest Dublin. I've been there for 14 years. I'm originally from Donegal, if you're wondering what the accent is. The most beautiful county in Ireland. Uh, yeah, oh, no, there's no argument there. Uh, and uh, I work with Philomena. If anybody knows Philomena, uh, she, yeah, you know how tough that is. So... Uh, um, before that, I studied at Oak Hill, and actually, at some of the sessions that we're covering here uh, was some of the books we're recommending are from Dan Strange, a, a lecturer, he lectured us there. Amar de Caroline, who thinks is here uh, somewhere with four kids, Joshua, Abby, Connor, and Chloe, aged 13 to 6, so Caroline will have to sprint out at 12.30 anyway. Uh, and yeah, we're, our kids go to a local school, Holy Rosary National School. Our primary school kids, just to let you know where we're involved in in our community. And uh, all this has gone to secondary school. But we're football mad as well. Managed to brainwash them all to support Liverpool. So we have to watch all the games to keep up a culture. Uh, So that's me. Hey everyone, I'm Philomena and I'm so excited about Vision. I'm really excited about engaging our world and understanding the context that we're in. And how amazing is Campfire to see people from woo, from all different counties all over Ireland. Absolutely incredible. Uh, so thanks for joining this track. Uh, we hope neither of us scare you away. You come back, they build on one another, which is great. My prayer for us at this track is that we would leave challenged at the terrain that God has placed us in, but also built up and encouraged. Uh, so right now God has placed me at Ballycombe Community Church. So uh, do pray for me, or should I say pray for Jeff? And I'm the youth worker there. It's my joy and my privilege uh, to teach the Bible to pre-teens, teens, and even some young adults. Uh, my, my passion is to see people know God, love God, and live for God. Um, before this, I worked, my background was in musical theatre, so if you hear me kind of go, oh, sing some of the lines, that's probably where that's coming from. Uh, working in stage film, but mostly musical theatre, and I'm so thankful for those gifts because God uses them with scripts, with people, with music. Uh, so, yeah, if you few different backgrounds and giftings, you can use them for the Lord, which is great. Um, I really thought that God was going to send me to uh, an unreached tribe after I left musical theatre and I never thought for one second that God would bring me back to my own tribe, the most unreached English-speaking country in the world, the Republic of Ireland. So yeah, this topic uh, very, very much close to my head. So the plan is each session is going to build on, that's what we were given uh, each day. So. If you don't come back tomorrow, we know that you want to try out another one. But the plan is that they will go back uh, and we will see uh, our culture's greatest needs, uh, understanding our culture and engaging our culture. That is the plan. Uh, when we, We'll probably do a bit more text work today. Tomorrow we'll think about Ireland in particular, mainly the Republic of Ireland. I don't know if there's many here from Northern Ireland. Is there any from Northern Ireland? Great. Well, maybe God's calling you to be a missionary down here. <laughs> so, uh, there we go. We, we need more gospel workers. Uh, so we will be mainly reflecting on the Republic of Ireland. Uh, and then in, in the third session, in engaging our culture, we will be thinking through, and probably that will be the more discussion, how we connect 
and, and, and how we confront uh, uh, the, and bring the gospel. So, but the focus is going to be the Republic of Ireland. This projector is sort of working. It changes slides about 30 seconds after I push the button. So I'm going to have to try and figure this out ahead of time whenever I'm going. But, so that first day we're going to look at our culture's greatest need. So a great way to kick off our course would be uh, with the words of Patrick. Patrick saw our culture's greatest need, didn't he? He was kidnapped and brought to Ireland, went back to England and came back because he was so burdened for the Irish people. Here's what he says. I came to the people of Ireland to preach the gospel and to suffer insults from the unbelievers, bearing the reproach of my going abroad and many persecution, even onto bonds and to give my free birth for the benefit of others. And should I be worthy, I'm prepared to give even my life without hesitation and most gladly for his name, Christ's name. And it is there that I wish to spend it in Ireland until I die, if the Lord would grant it to me. So Patrick understood the immense need for the gospel in Ireland, but he also understood the hardships in bringing the gospel to the Irish people. We're going to have a quick look now at the census uh, only from last year. And these statistics highlight the need for the gospel in Ireland, but also what are the barriers, what are the hardships that we face in our communities, in our church context? So the Republic of Ireland has a population of 5.1 million. And in the 2022 census, the biggest group at 69%, 2.5 million of the population, identified as Catholic, as Roman Catholic. And the next largest group after Catholicism was no religion at all, the no religion box at 14%. Anyone here from County Mayo? Yeah. Oh, okay, County Mayo, you have the highest proportion of Catholics in your county at 80%. Are we any other Dubliners here? Yo, you aren't quiet, you're pretending to be. Uh, we have the lowest percentage of Catholics at 53%. So we're going to have a, a look at our landscape and see the cultural shifts from 2016 until 2022. Um, and this is helpful to see where our culture is heading. So as we compare 2016 to 2022, in 2016, 79% identified as Roman Catholic. Whereas in 2022, 69% identified as Roman Catholic. That's a 10% decrease in the space of only six years. So the next largest group after Catholicism was no religion at 14%. And there's been a, a big rise throughout Europe, not just Ireland, of people who are ticking that box, that no religion box. And they account again for 14%. The questions in the census were also changed. If you look up the census, you can get a whole chapter on, on religion, except for this year. It's now gone. The 2016 census asked, what is your religion? Whereas last year, the census asked, what's your religion, if any? When we take a step back and we see the big picture, at times the statistics can feel pretty overwhelming, can't it, as evangelical Christians? We're in the minority we probably account from 0.5 to 1% of the population. And yes, as I look around this room, as I look around this conference, I see people with a strong desire to live for Jesus and to share the gospel with others. But maybe you're coming here and you've had experiences of sharing the gospel with your family, your friends, and it's just really difficult. And you come here and you're discouraged, you're weary. And yet, we long for our families, our extended families, the people in our communities uh, who walk by those churches, as David said this morning, 
Lots of us have tried hard, we've toiled hard all over Ireland, whether you're in the countryside, whether you're in the suburbs, whether you're in the city. And what we're facing is the people aren't interested. It's really hard to get traction. So we come here and we recognise the Irish landscape is very difficult, but yet we have a God who is the Lord of salvation. He is the Lord of the harvest. So why is Ireland in this shape? We're going to go from the 80s right up until present day. This is part of mission to understand the context and cultural landscape, so it's worth reflecting on. So in the 1980s, the majority of Irish citizens identified as Roman Catholic. And during this decade, the Catholic Church were involved in many spheres of life, and they had a firm hold and a firm power on Irish societies. During the 90s, the abuse scandals from the Catholic Church were making headlines, so much so that there was pressure mounted on the Irish government to establish a commission to investigate this abuse that had been widespread. These scandals revealed cover-ups by high-ranking church leaders that people had trusted, that people that were in their community. And many Irish people said, that's it, I'm washing my hands of God, religion, I just want nothing to do with it anymore. But also in the 90s, we saw many other nations come and make their home in Ireland. And many other worldviews were embraced and have influenced Irish culture today. Then from the 90s to um, present day, the tide has turned dramatically, hasn't it? Because of our history and things done in the name of God, um, we saw that Ireland went the other way. We legalised same-sex marriage in 2015, breaking. We were the first in the world to do that by public vote. Uh, the mass baby grave was found in Galway in 2017. And then in 2018, the very next year, what did we see? We saw abortion legalised in Ireland for the first time. If you open a paper or if you scroll on your phone, you're going to see an undercurrent in Irish media that Christianity is no longer one of the many truths that you can believe, but being a Christian is a problem. It's a form of hate. How hateful of you to say who I can love, what I can do with my body, or what gender I am. Author Stephen Alpine in his book, Being the Bad Guys, he says this, to be a Christian is to be one of the bad guys, but this isn't new. If you look far back enough, we'll see that God's people have been the bad guys before. Scripture assumes it. Jesus predicted it. The apostles experienced it. The church in most times and in most places has lived it. And now the baton passes to us. So Jeff is going to take us through Acts 17. We'd like to turn up back 17. Uh, this is where we're kind of going to live over the three days uh, in this session, Acts chapter 17. Uh, and whilst uh, I do that, whilst you turn up Acts chapter 17, and we'll be in verses 16 to 34, Paul in Athens, I want to ask us a question first of all. Uh, and actually, because it's a seminar, we, we are going to make you guys do a little bit of work, discussion, maybe in twos or threes. Uh, but uh, thinking of yourselves or maybe your church, how do we relate to the culture, the world around us? Firstly, are we like a bomb shelter? Is the church like a bomb shelter in, the, in that we all huddle up together, close ourselves off from any attacks, sing our songs, put our heads in the sand, fingers in our ears. We're just going to hold tight till Jesus returns. Is that what we are as a church, a bomb shelter? Or on the other side, are we a mirror? Do we just reflect the culture? We've already 
talked about some of this in some of the sessions already uh, that we've had. We, we just become like the culture around us. The church is scared to stand for anything. It really becomes more liberal. We can't have uh, views on sexuality. Is it, can't say there's only one way to heaven. Is the church like that? Now, at this conference, we're probably hoping not. Uh, but is the church like a mirror? Or is it like a boxing ring? Are we like wanting to hit out and lash out? Fight about it. We're so absolutely disgusted with our culture and how everything has gone to pot as it were. And we just want to point the finger at how bad it is. And lash out and hit back. Is that what we're about, the boxing ring? Or as we'll all want, as a church like a city on a hill. Uh, different, as we heard this morning. Shining out special and yet still holding to the truth. Uh, now, we know that that's what we want to be, but in twos or threes, just to get you thinking, what do you think, how good are you at engaging in culture? Are you any of those boxes as a church? Or also, which one is the greatest temptation to fall into if we want to be the city on a hill? Just in twos or threes, and then I'll get maybe one or two groups of feedback. Go. <laughs>
Maybe we'll get a, a couple of people to feed back. Any, any groups want to share? Don't, don't be shy. What do you think? Uh, what's a bigger temptation? Or how good are we at engaging in culture? Which of those four boxes who would like to feed back what was shared? I think, like, sorry, we, we kind of, we come from different kind of church backgrounds, you know, yeah. a mixture of traditional church backgrounds, um, which I think we, we, they're kind of seen as quite harmless in their culture. You know, if you're from... You know, um, if you're from from a time where you have the, the big church in the middle of town, everyone's like, oh, they're, they're not going to push anything else. So that is almost like a mirror. So the, but then at, at, I think at the same time, we often feel personally, a lot of us are saying, it's like a bomb shelter, you go there, you can't hide away. You spend time with your Christian friends. You know, you don't even think about what's outside, so it's scary. Yeah, good. Thanks. Anybody else? Another group? My pick picking people? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, at the back there. Um, I stand between two cultures. So I'm Ugandan. I've only been living in Ireland for four years. Um, I'm some similar cultural collision course, really. But I come from a boxing ring culture. Anyone who has been to sub Saharan Africa, Uganda, we're literally using the gospel as a slave you know, we just condemning, condemning. Now there's reception of the gospel, so there's growth, but we're definitely in the boxing ring. And then I moved here and I found myself between the bomb shelter and the mirror. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and it's just a shock uh, culturally as well, uh, but also gospel as well, because you know, the mirror, it is, it is what it is. It's, it's what things are, you know, we're passing the laws, we just have to follow the laws. And then we're meeting in uh, small groups, in our local church, and it feels more like a bomb shelter, you know, where we're looking after ourselves. It's like we lit the candle, but we put the cover on the candle. Mm -hmm. And so, it's like, but, but, but the neighbors, how do we... Talk yeah. to the neighbors. How do we take the candle to the neighbors? No, you don't talk to the neighbors. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's, that's, that's why you. this session, uh, I'm very passionate about this session because I find myself <coughs> at that threshold, so to speak. Mm -hmm. I just don't know how to speak to people because anyone has been to Africa, you just stop people and talk to them. You <laughs> <laughs> just walk into their house and just talk to them. Yeah, <laughs> yes. <no> privacy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, yeah. No, that's helpful. Well, why don't we turn to Acts 17 and, and, and have a think. Uh, we'll read verses 16 to 23. Let me pray, because we know it's hard. Uh, just as, now as we come to God's Word, just pray. Father, help us now, even as we think about how can we engage in culture. And we want to be a city in a hill, and we, we can't, but may we learn even from Paul now. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So this is Acts chapter 17, starting at verse 16 all the way to 23. Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogues with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him and said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, ah, you seem to see a preacher of foreign divinities, because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus and said, 
may we know uh, what this new teaching is that you're presenting, for you bring some strange things to your ears, and we wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, of all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there, they would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you're very religious, for I passed along and I observed the objects of your worship. I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Thanks. So Paul... Missionary to the Gentiles, as we know, and he went in various places. But here he is in Athens. But even here we see he went to different groups. Do you see that even if you look down? He did go to the Jews in the synagogue in verse 17. But then, of course, he went into the marketplace in Athens. And then we have to ask ourselves, what was Athens like? Well, Athens would have been very different to Jerusalem. Where in Jerusalem, they worshipped God. They, they knew the Old Testament. They, they had the Bible. We're here, very different. No Bible, knowledge, background, pretty much they were biblically illiterate. So that was the, the people he was engaging with. Athens as well would have, been a, it would have been a religious, philosophical place where they debated and discussed and, and, and very attractive. I mean, we know people take tourist trips to Athens to, to see the great buildings that are there, the statues, a beautiful place, a, a Acropolis up in the hill. Amazing. It was a polytheistic culture too. They would have had many gods. And two types of belief systems you see here mentioned in verse 18. The Epicureans and the, the Stoics. Apparently the Epicureans was a, a whole belief system where they tried to live a tranquil life. It was, uh, they didn't want anybody uh, hassling them too much. There would be no god of judgment uh, that wouldn't demand things off you. Uh, their gods were removed from your life in that way. Whereas the Stoic belief system, apparently reason was the king. And they would have had morals and it was a belief system that was earnest. So actually you'd, you'd even hear two different belief systems here in, in Athens. But there was others and then you had the Jews in the synagogue. So in one sense you could say Athens is a lot more like our country than Jerusalem would have been. There's different groups. There's people with different belief systems now. We've got people worshipping all sorts of gods. We've also got people who are still living very religious lives. Uh, but others not caring at all. Living for career, money, pleasure, everything else. Another thing that's quite similar, uh, Ireland to here, is more and more people are becoming biblically illiterate. Uh, the younger generation, some of them don't even know there's an Old and New Testament. Uh, we always have to explain what a chapter and a verse is in our youth groups and with people who are outside of the church. That is the world that Paul is entering into, a, a biblically illiterate. And that's why we can maybe learn some principles from Paul in Athens. Now, I don't have time to expound the whole passage. And we're going to look at maybe more at his approach tomorrow. Uh, but... What I want us to see, first of all, in this passage, because I think this is key, really, if we do want to reach out in the world, I know it is for myself, is just look at what it says in verse 16. Because he goes to Athens. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. 
I mean, he's in this city, an absolutely beautiful place, with all this amazing architecture, philosophy, education, intelligent people living there. And you could go in there and you could marvel and appreciate all that. But what did Paul do? He actually saw the city for what it really was. He had his proper Christian glasses, goggles on, didn't he? As he was looking around, he was distressed, provoked, it says. That's a strong word to see that the city was full of idols. In some ways, it actually completely disgusted him. Why? Because he had a heart for these people and because he had a heart for God. He was disgusted that they were not worshipping the one true God. This is what we learn from this passage here. We see Paul's concern. He was concerned for the people and ultimately for God's glory. The concern was over the fact that they weren't worshipping him. They weren't worshipping the one true God. And and I think we do have to ask ourselves a question because if we too want to reach out in the world, then it's it's great and maybe we're we're preaching to the, the, the ones who are keen for this. But where Jesus is not rightly worshipped as Lord, does that concern us? Are we wounded? Do we have Paul's heart? He saw and he was distressed that they worshipped other idols. In Ireland, we don't have idols, temples like that. But as I say, people around us are constantly worshipping created things rather than the creator. Any other God is an idol. We know that. I'm sure you know that. An idol is basically the most important thing in your life, what you treasure most. Tim Keller describes it as an idol is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you what only God can give, anything that is so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. So it can be something, it can be someone, and everybody is worshipping something. Actually, Romans 1 tells us that as well. We all worship something, and he was heartbroken that they weren't worshipping the one true God. Do we have that same heart? Because as I say, everybody worships something. Are we disgusted? Whenever people are living for other idols, even if it is sex and the damage that it can cause, when people live for pleasure, they're just going out, living for the weekend, the next drink, the next party. Does it stir our hearts? I have to admit, it doesn't always stir my heart. I could be in a good frame of mind and, and, and wanting to love and serve God and maybe be out in the masses and maybe out with whatever, the football team, and you look around at the hundreds and you go, they're all lost. And it breaks my heart. And yet at other times, I might be oblivious to that. I don't have a heart like Paul's. In one sense, I actually do believe the key to telling people about Jesus has to actually begin with our own heart's desires. Uh, if a church is not evangelistic, if we're not, if we're not outwardly thinking it, maybe it is because we're not truly concerned. Uh, do we have the compassion, the desire 
that people will worship Jesus as Lord and Savior. So I want you in a couple of group, in your groups just again. This is a quicker one. How can we cultivate a heart and concern like Paul's? Just one minute. Well, this is what we need. This will be the motivation to enable us to. How can we cultivate that? And I'll just get a couple of people to feedback again. Go. <coughs> feedback. All right, some good discussion going on there. Uh, this is key, uh, our desires, if we want to reach out. And so how can we cultivate this heart, this concern that Paul has? Some, some feedback from some of the groups. It needs to start with the leaders. Okay, like we heard this morning. Yeah, leaders are key. Yeah, that they model it, people follow. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Eugene. Any other? Yeah? Uh, we need to see people as God sees them. 
And so the only way we can do that is to ask God to change our hearts and to enlighten our minds and help us to see the need in other we can't, we need him to do that. Yeah, we do. We need the spirit to work in us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. David, you're looking at me like as if, or is Matthew? Uh, <laughs> it's Catherine. It's Catherine. <laughs> Catherine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good, good. Catherine. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> no, good, good. Anybody else? Anything to add on that? I was thinking too, you've quoted Tim Keller, and I, I think he's quite insightful in exposing our culture. Uh, like things that I would just pass over, he kind of tears the cover off and he points to the rock <coughs> and how it's against scripture and where it needs the gospel preached. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we all need this uh, a heart. That knows and loves Jesus, God, to, to give us that desires. Uh, that's why we need the church, that we'll continue to behold Jesus. Uh, need to spend time on believers, but see them as they are. It's key. Rico Tyson, his book, Honest Evangelism, that I would recommend, says, The closer you get to Jesus, the more you read of him in the Bible and see him at work in your life, the more glory you will see and the more you will long for him to be treated as he deserves. This is what provoked Paul. They were worshipping other idols. John Stott, I think I have a quote in the notes there. If only our eyes were open to see his glory, and if only we felt wounded by the shame of his public humiliation among men, we should not be able to be, remain silent. Rather, we would echo the apostles' words, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. It is key, so it's important to, you know, to remind ourselves uh, and all of us, if we want to engage with the world, where's our heart? Do we have the concern that Paul has? And that's why we need the gospel ourselves and need to regularly hear it as we've been hearing, not just uh, hear brand new stuff, but be reminded, reminded or reminded. Well, now we'll go to Paul's sermon in Acts 17, or, you know, it's probably an abbreviated version of it, I'm sure, of his speech in verses 30, uh, 24 to the end. Because here we see the gospel content that we need to know as well. Now, I'd say the majority of us know this and will be clear in this, but ultimately this is what our country needs. They need Jesus, but we also need this gospel truth to keep us motivated so we will see people as God sees them. So we'll want to tell them. Because, uh, yes, culture is continually shifting, but the gospel message doesn't. It needs to be communicated into it, but the content's the same. And, and Paul begins in a courteous way, doesn't he? In verse 23, we see him talk about what they believed in, and he sees their gods that they're worshipping. But then he diverts, and he goes, but I'm going to tell you about the one true God. And actually what he does here is, and it probably was fleshed out in more detail, he actually tells in one sense the whole Bible story. From beginning to end, starting with God as creator, finishing with Jesus going to come as judge. From creation to judgment, and he's going to articulate it all, which I think is actually a very important part that we need to do too, is tell the whole 
storyline of the Bible these days. And people enjoy stories, but the big picture of God's word needs to be understood. And Paul tells in this abbreviated version the whole framework because they were lacking this fundamental basics. They were biblically illiterate. So he started with God as creator, verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in temples made by hands. So he's speaking to them about the creator, that he owns us. He's a sustainer, verse 25. He's not served by, he doesn't need anything. He's giving all life to all mankind. So he, he paints a picture. You've, many of you have got a gospel outline, but we see the gospel outline in this sermon. We see him talk about God, man, sin, Jesus, and the response. And that's what we he, see here. But what does he say about them? He communicates the truth of what they have done wrong. I mean, he tells them in verse 24, ah, God doesn't live in temples. They would have thought that. They had these great temples up there, and he's going straight. You're, you're, you're worshiping wrong here. This isn't right. The Athenians had their temples. He says, we've all come from one man. Not all ancient belief systems believe that. Back then, uh, that's what he says. He nails their religious idolatry. Look at what he says in verse 29. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. So he actually points out their flaws. They would have been worshipping images and idols everywhere. And he says, God's not like that. You're in error. You're guilty of idolatry. And he's going to call them to turn. But he does speak clearly about Jesus. Now he's been doing that in the marketplace. You read in verse 18, he speaks about Jesus and the resurrection, and I'm sure this is a, a summary. So if you're speaking about the resurrection, he's speaking about Jesus' death and his resurrection. And then he speaks about his, he's going to come as judge in verse 31. So Paul proclaims all the truths and points people to Jesus. That Christ will even come and judge. The only way we can be in right standing before God the judge is to be justified, declared right in God's courtroom. Which actually our country needs to hear that message. And we need to be clear on justification by faith alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. It's Christ who's the center of this. And then he does have the response. He demands. Look at what he says in verse 30. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. He didn't mess his words, did he? But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. So he says God commands repentance because of who he is. To turn from those idols to serve the one true God. To, to trust in Jesus who died and rose. He didn't even just give a little invitation actually. Although, yes, we are invited to Christ. He says, God commands you, turn to serve Jesus. It kind of might be a bit blunt to the way we would phrase things, wouldn't it? Uh, but he was in a polytheistic culture that worshipped all these other gods. But he said it straight. Just like a blunt sailor who threw a life jacket into the sea to someone drowning, we'd say, grab a hold of that. <clears throat> Jump onto it. 
A. Harderson. This is the gospel that we need to know, that people need to hear, and it has all this content in it. Let me get into your grips for this last time. What parts of the gospel are we tempted to leave out? You're probably all clear in it. So what parts of the gospel are we tempted to leave out? Go. What are we tempted to leave out? Fear. 
we can talk about that about the urgency um, because we, you know, break it down like there's, there's individual difficult things to navigate, but I think that the urgency of, you know, you know, we need to repent now, you know, we need God's forgiveness now. Yeah. Uh, it's not, you know, it's, it's not something we can wait until the end of life to do. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. We, we also do that. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, others? The urgency? We, we, we don't maybe have the same urgency as Paul. Yeah? Judgment. Judgment? Yeah? It's, it's, it's hard to say that in today's culture. Uh, it's not very winsome uh, to speak about judgment, but the gospel contains judgment. Uh, they need to know <clears throat> what they're turning from, yeah? And anything else? It's a, um, it's, a, it's a particularly hard thing for people to hear. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think also, um, I'm saying that uh, the single path to salvation being Christ mm -hmm. is one that yeah. Yeah. you're not single minded in that. Mm -hmm. No? And, and it's just a chat. We have to remember this was Paul in Athens, polytheistic, you know, and we learn from him. It's hard, but we have to. Uh, as we'll see in the next, we're going to live in, as I say, in, in Acts 17 uh, in the next couple of days and just draw out some, some <coughs> principles in Paul in Athens. And whilst we will see ways he connects, we can't get away from how clear he is on the gospel and proclaiming it and also his heart for it. So we will be looking at, at that. But any other comments on anything else? Any? I, think, I think the gender issue is, I think it's the, it's the test, I think, of the church contemporary. Yeah. I think it's the one area that for me that I find particularly challenging because there's problems within the church and there's problems without the church and to walk that balance without denying the 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 creation uh, of man and woman. Yeah. The the I think that's the thing that people would, would, would be killed for. They won't kill you for saying Jesus is God. They won't kill you for saying something else, but they will kill you for saying that, you know. You're not entitled to be whatever LGBT or G H or J K L M N. That's the kind of thing that we get that we get you killed presently. Yeah. And yeah. I think I think if we're I don't, I always think that, that it's not a platform issue, but as Luther says, it's the point that the gospel is causing more causing most problems today, and I think it should be poked in the eye and, and, and addressed. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Matthew. Yeah, there's that is a key issue now, isn't it? That. We need to be clear on and figure out how to speak into it. Okay, we'll be wrapping up now, I think. I'm picking up a bit on what Gary said last night uh, as he was speaking. I was like, oh my goodness, he's going into our seminar. It's not Gary, but he was saying how when you think of Christian ethics and then when people look at how Christians are living, it's just, it's, it's how we're living in the world, isn't it, for Christ? And living out what it means to be a woman following Christ, living out what it means to be a man following Christ. Um, just reflecting back on Acts, Jesus, um, Paul preached Jesus and the resurrection, but he understood his context. Um, so the proclamation of the gospel in our communities and our families needs to be understood. 
So all of us are involved in cultural engagement right now, whether we realize it or not, it's inevitable. Jeff already mentioned this book, Honest Evangelism. Definitely pick yourself up a copy. It's so accessible, it's an easy read. And Rico doesn't shy away from the fact that evangelism is hard. And even though there is a great hostility towards Christ and towards Jesus at times in Ireland, there's also a great hunger. In the Barbie movie, it's like, what are we made for? What are we made for? It's some truth, the whole film. People are asking these questions. So it's a challenging but an encouraging read. And it's a great reminder. He ends the book. Sorry, spoiler. And we should know this already. There is no greater joy than in seeing people come to know Christ and to live for him. Just on the book recommendations and that handout, we have a whole lot at the end of that handout. Uh, you want to pick it up before you look at the third one. Uh, but yeah, this is what our country needs. The gospel, they need the hope of a saviour. They're worshipping idols all around us, all different ones. Uh, and we need the gospel message. And to hear it. So that our hearts are challenged, Jerry Bridges says, and probably a bunch of others, that Christian needs to preach the gospel to themselves every day. So you need to tell yourself, I'm a sinner who deserves God's wrath, hell. But Jesus came to save us. He's come in as judge, but he has justified us freely by his grace, all through his work on the cross, not through anything we have done. And actually holding and remembering that continually well, help us see the need of others and help us be thankful for what we have and hopefully even disgusted and concerned that people are worshipping other idols. Let me pray as we close. Father, we want to thank you once again for our wonderful Saviour, Jesus. Thank you that you have rescued us from worshipping other idols. Our hearts are still constantly tempted to, so forgive us when we do. But thank you that Jesus has paid for it all. He came, he died, he rose. He's coming again to judge. May we always remember that. May we hold on to the gospel truth that we were reminded this morning. May leaders continue to teach it, refute what is wrong, as well as teach what is right. And may our hearts be concerned for the people around us so that we would actually be willing to cross the pain line, the barrier, to be willing to be mocked if needs be, whilst doing it with gentleness and respect. So we ask for your help, and even in these next uh, couple of sessions going forward, thank you for this uh, time together and that we're united in Christ our Saviour. In his name we pray. Amen.